Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Katherine Ingram. Once again, we're using a recording from the archives that have never been produced for the podcast channel. We'll be recording new sessions in Victoria, Australia in 2023. But meanwhile, I'm grateful to offer these golden oldies remastered by our talented sound engineer. The following session of Dharma Dialogues was recorded in Los Angeles in 2004. It's called What a Ride This Is. go along with a sense of waiting for something that's going to happen in the future. Something that's not now, something that is some other time to come. Isn't this a familiar feeling to all of us? This isn't quite it. It's going to happen. It's about to come, or someday it will come, but not quite now. And you sort of think about how, frankly, tragic it is that many people die having lived their whole life in that sense of waiting for the time to come that actually never did come. And from that vantage point, you realize that it's in fact a real privilege to live the life you have in present time in present awareness, to live in the now where you're actually living, (laughs) to actually notice that, and to begin to deeply appreciate that, to deeply and profoundly appreciate your life as it is now. What if you couldn't add anything else on? What if this really is it? Can you say yes to it? Can you say thank you? Can you say, wow, what a ride this is? Do you have to have that clause that says, this isn't quite my real life. I'm going toward my real life. Because that clause is your torment. And that clause is telling you, something negative about your life now, your wonderful life. It's saying it's not enough. This is not enough. But what if you switch it around? This is the key to happiness, by the way. Switch it around and say, (laughs) this is enough. It's more than enough. It's more than I can even take in. Every moment... You might think it's simple or it's boring or it's something you've wanted didn't happen. You might have all these thoughts, but what if you switch all of that around and say, it is full, exactly as it is. What if you appreciate, instead of saying something's missing, Notice the space that you have. Notice the peace that you have. Instead of saying something was lost, say instead, I journeyed 
with this person or this something for a while, and then our journeys went different ways. You can always reframe it. You can always reframe it into appreciation. You can always reframe it into deep acceptance for what is or what has been. The depressing stories are, you know, they're really endless. <laughs> and people can manage to, with, with the greatest of abundance, find lots of things to complain about. Lately, I hear a lot, and I read a lot from things that I get on email and from various friends <laughs> and so on about the, the very terrible time we're living in. <laughs> How terrible it is. It's so terrible. And yes, on many levels, it's, it's scary. Yes, it's true. But then you think about other times in history, the times of plague, for instance, when two-thirds of Europe died. <laughs> Can you imagine if in a short period of time, two-thirds of everyone you know was dead in a really short period of time. How about four to six hundred years of Inquisition? <laughs> that, was, that was not a walk in the park. We would have all been grounded up, no doubt. <laughs> we would have been the first to go. <laughs> Humans have endured all kinds of things, and in each life there are lots of losses. Plagues and holocausts of all sorts. So there's always something. You can always find plenty to lament. And you can always find plenty to be grateful for. So then the question becomes that of how are you going to play it? It's really your choice. You can stay in appreciation. You can stay in present awareness. Because part of the depressing story, some of it is about what you've perhaps lost, but some of it may be about what you think you should have and don't have and that you're hoping will come. When you stay here, you will feel full. You just do. When you're just here, it is full. You start to notice that. Then it's not about what was lost. And it's not about something to come. And then your life just flows along. And, of course, there are real losses. People die that you love. Those are real losses. And our heart breaks accordingly. But I always say, and I know many of you in this room have heard me say this a lot, you, you save your heartbreak for the big ones. You don't squander it over every little crazy fantasy of your story of lament. Your opening statement was very satisfying, and I almost don't, I feel like everyone in the room doesn't want to say anything. Who would challenge that? You know, um, I, I've, I've 
this week, that the thing that's been coming up over and over again has been, it's, it's sort of been a refinement of this wish for something to come, involving um, uh, well, I, what I what I came to see was that I seem to do everything out of a sense of will. That there's no real passion in anything I'm doing. Um, you know, I have a routine in my life that's somewhat self-activated uh, now. It keeps going on and on, and uh, a lot of it does produce uh, you know very uncomfortable experience and. I think where I'm really meaning to ask you is uh, where passion emerges from and how to, you know, I feel like in some sense I need to interrupt this, you know, very busy world I've made for myself, which in some ways doesn't permit me to relax deeply. Um, and, you know, I've been practicing a kind of muted passion for yes. 25 years or so. When that, when that understanding is strong, when, when you are aware that there's a dullness, right, that you're going on in a kind of autonomic way, then it might take something more proactive to just sort of dive deeper into your well of joy. And my recommendation, my first on the top of the list is, is retreat. Frankly, it's it's a pretty much of a guarantee, as you know, that you find that well of passion and joy again quite easily because it's there. It's just, it's just somehow clouded over, you know, but it's definitely there. And other alternatives are to go somewhere beautiful that you can also be quiet, swim in the ocean. Just take some time that is dedicated for that remembrance. Because it's true, you can go along, even in present awareness. I've been speaking about this, I think you were here last week when I spoke about it. There's just a, a kind of wearing down that happens in busy life, and it creates this constant running of a motor inside, so that even when you're relatively quiet and you're not in a lot of high drama, there can just be a tiredness that's going on because of the buzz and the hum of life that is, that is fairly relentless in our very busy lives and that most of us do lead. So it takes a certain intentionality. If you're feeling that well running a bit dry, that, that well of joy and of a certain kind of... Maybe excitement is too strong a word to describe it, but a certain joie de vivre that, you know... I do want to throw in here that a lot of this is tied with money. You know, i very somewhat ashamed to admit, but I mean, well, a lot of my sense of well-being does rise and fall, you know, with uh, having the availability of uh, taking time off and so forth, which I've okay, been well, without for about. Okay, well, even if you can only take yeah. a day or two off, a weekend off, and just really make it dedicated very intentionally to something that just recharges your batteries. It's a wise thing to do because it sounds like you are noticing an imbalance. Simple as that. A kind of dulling by rote moving through life. And that can happen just by, I mean, even with, as I'm saying, even with living in present awareness, there's a beautiful Hafiz poem called Someone Untied Your Camel. And 
I can't remember, of course. It's so, every line of it is perfect, actually. I can't really remember any of them very clearly, but the gist of it is that the camel, it, was, it refers to as the camel of joy in your heart. And, and he says, because I hear it wandering in the desert, I hear its cry. And, you know, someone untied your camel when you can no longer weep tears of joy. And like that all the way through. And the implication being that it's not gone. It's just wandering around somewhere, you know. <laughs> so you find a way to, you know, just to remember, you know, really. I think the, the intentionality is very important. It is. Uh, I think that's really the intentionality and the and the knowing when one is out of balance. And balance can come as a symptom of the same situation, which is that there's this drone of a motor running. Get up, do it again. Get through the day. Flop in bed at night. Sleep. Get up. Do it again. And without the the sparkle. But when there's the recharge, then, as I was saying at the beginning, the sparkle is there with all the little ordinary things. I know I'll be there when I get out to the shop and I go, there's my table saw. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but actually, that's quite possible. Yes. Because from another vantage point, having that marvelous tool to do your wonderful work that you've probably developed quite a bit of mastery with by now is a privilege. It's great. There could come, we could well imagine, let's, you know, may not be so, but we could certainly imagine a time when there would be nothing more that you would rather be doing, that you wish you could do it. In a way, this is a perspective that just takes the lens out in a very big vastness, you know, and looks at life from all these different angles. Always in present awareness, but in a way, um, multidimensional present awareness. I, I have experienced it many times. And just, uh, right, just not <laughs> looking, this particular moment. Looking for a ping at the moment, yeah. Yes, yes. Give it to yourself. And it may, not, it may not be as difficult as you might imagine to recharge those batteries. It can happen fast. It can happen in an afternoon. It can happen in an hour. I've so often quoted this, and I, I'm sure you've heard it, but some people are new and haven't. I love quoting Leonard Cohen's stanza from his song, Waiting for the Miracle. Baby, I've been waiting. I've been waiting night and day. I didn't see the time, and I waited half my life away. There were lots of invitations, and I know you sent me some, but I was waiting for the miracle, the miracle to come. So we often spend half our lives <laughs> waiting for that miracle out there, the miracle to come. And we miss all the invitations the many, many invitations of the now, right, that say, here's your miracle, have a miracle, here it is. Oh, no, I'm waiting for the one to come, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get that one up there. 
ahead in the future. After talking to you about a week or two ago, I'm still working on this problem of being clear that I'm using food as a tranquilizer or just dull my consciousness. So I put mirrors up where I eat so I can watch myself putting the food in and, and you know, try to be aware of what a gluttonous person tranquilizing myself out of boredom or whatever. And I'm still noticing that I just, sometimes I can't either watch it completely, or if I do, I still keep on going beyond where I should and use the food as a big trank down or whatever drug, you know, food's the biggest drug there is, bigger than heroin. And so I'm just watching it and I know that's happening and I'm just trying to determine what's the best way for me to watch that little act, just like being aware of the mind overriding my good sense to stop when I should, like being kind of witnessing this little melodrama in order to step away from it and drop the banana or drop the hot coal of continually, continuously. Well, as I told you before, when we had the conversation about this very subject, the problem is not in your activities and your motions. You're going about it like you're studying a monkey or something. The problem, if there is even a problem, but it's really more of a reframing of your sense of wholeness. That's what has to be noticed first. You need to feel full as a being. <laughs> right? You're, you're going about this on a different level than, than I think is going to be effective. And also, I'm wondering if it's even true that you're such a big overeater because you don't really look like a huge overeater, unless you're throwing up. No, I'm not sick or bulimic or anything but i would like to be i've still got that extra 10 or 20 pounds like everybody else <laughs> well <laughs> but that isn't what the real problem is it's obviously more just yes. the clarity of not being clear and overeating to a point of dullness or sleeping too much like that okay but that i would i would not make this a big boogeyman of a problem that you think you have this gigantic addiction but if you feel that you want to address anything in terms of real looking at it, if you want to hold a mirror up, have it be about your sense of wholeness as a person. Let yourself feel that fullness. So when you're feeling so-called hungry, just look at it right there directly. I mean, maybe it's literally true that you are physically hungry more than other people. That's quite possible. You may have a fast metabolism. But if, if you're feeling some other deeper hunger that is forcing you to eat food, notice that and reframe that, challenge it each time. Could you elaborate a little bit on that? Or you just... Yeah, I'm saying that if your hunger is purely biological hunger, and it may be, use your discerning awareness to notice that. Right, You may happen to be someone who eats more than other people. You may have a fast metabolism. You don't seem overweight. Some of that, of course, is true, of course. Yeah. So if it is true that you just happen to be physically hungry, then eat if you can. But if you find yourself just, if you find that it's really about a different kind of hunger, you know, I told you to get this book, When Food is Love. It's by Janine Roth. 
and she's she comes to Dharma Dialogues in the Bay Area and to retreats. Um, it's a wonderful perspective that she has about eating disorders and about what we're really hungry for. Substituting food for love. Yes. But I'm just saying it a slightly different way. It's the love of your own self. It's the love of your own sense of connectedness. And this, this is really the root of addiction, right? It's, that's what people, that's what everybody wants in every single domain, whether they're addicted or not. Everybody wants to feel love. Everyone wants to feel connection. Some people have more addictive personalities than others and go about trying to have that in all kinds of destructive ways. And some people just go around without an addictive personality, but still feeling the hunger and feeling kind of raw and and then waiting for the miracle, dreaming about that other time when they're going to feel connected. So they go around really in a self-induced trance, which is another form of of addiction, an addiction to a fantasy in one's mind of the time to come and of the love to come and of the connection to come. But I'm saying challenge all of that. Wake up. Absolutely wake up now and see that you're full. You may be physically hungry, but you're full as a being. Everything you need to be connected has already been done. You are already blazing away here as an absolutely discreet but connected part of this whole. And you just notice, you start to notice that and feel it. And you feel as though there's a light infusing everything and it's infusing you. And you start to feel much more a sense of being light-filled. If light isn't your particular imagery, don't worry about that word, but you feel source-filled or you feel energy-filled. And you forget to even think of yourself as separate. Then your business is really taking care of the animal that you are, the biological animal, the biological creature. Then you're no longer hungry for the big connection You're just hungry biologically now and again through the day. Or you might even be sometimes hungry for experience as a psychological creature. And you notice that too. You give the creature its various needs as best you can. Sometimes for myself, I love movies. So sometimes for myself, I just have to see a movie tonight. I mean, you know, if there's a good one playing. <laughs> so I noticed that the creature has a certain psychological need. And if, if it can be easily fulfilled, then well and good. If not, also, there's no longer a story that, God, my life's not working. <laughs> or yet another disappointment. <laughs> or, Why isn't there anyone to go to the movies with? (laughs) You know, it doesn't go into this grand scale hunger. It stays specific in terms of just taking care of the creature. So it's fair enough to like food. (laughs) 
And you don't have to frame it that it's putting you to sleep. But if there's a deeper hunger, that's the one to look at. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, I have this 12-year-old volunteer comes in. She's been coming for three years to feed fish one day a week. And uh, I realized a while, a while back why she loved it so much. It's not that she just loves feeding the fish. She loves that relationship. But it's a break in her little busy day. Can you imagine? 12 years old, and she's got soccer practice, got to go to the dentist, got to go to her brother's thing and her sister's thing. And then she's got to do her two hours of math. And then she's got to do the violin lessons and she's got to go to soccer. I know. You know? Kids are very busy these yeah. days. <laughs> <laughs> and she said to me just a little while back, she goes, you know, in two and a half months, I won't be a kid anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like, she's going to turn 13 and she won't be a kid anymore. <laughs> Did you assure her that you're still yeah. a kid? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told her, I said, well, what you should do is is find those friends, find those people that you know that that want to be kids and be kids with those people. You know? <laughs> now, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know. I think I offer that. Yes. You know, I yes. offer a slowness because, like, I was, I resisted school all along. I always felt it was an entrainment to be an adult, you know, when, when we should be being kids. And so I just fake homework and, and daydream in class. You know, it's just like I did not appreciate that experience very much. And so I think when she's around me, I go slow. I'm casual. It's yes. like, you know, it's just this and that. And <laughs> so. Someone came up to me last night after, after Dharma Dialogues, because we had spoken a lot during the evening about innocence. He said, uh, and it was his first night, and he said he was confused because innocence also implied a lack of the sophistication and richness of experience in his mind. That was how he read the word innocence. And I was saying, I said to him that someone once told me that, the, that Lao Tzu, the great philosopher Lao Tzu, that his name actually means old child. I don't know the actual mm. translation, but someone said that that's what it means. But anyway, it makes sense, old child. And that interestingly, most of the great wise ones that I've met who are who are older seem more and more like children childlike not childish but childlike you know that there is that i can only use the word innocence but what i mean by it simply is that that clarity of heart that simpleness of heart that openness Freshness, that willingness to be in present time, in present awareness, like we were when we were children, much more. All of that has this quality that we associate with childhood. But in fact, we as people who are <laughs> older than children, although there are a few children in the room tonight, you know, we do have, we have the years of rich experience that inform this this heart as well. So it's even more awesome to see that kind of innocence in someone who's older and who's who's awake and who's discerning, not just, you know, getting senile, but actually but actually clear and innocent 
which is how I felt about Punjaji. I felt even though he was a man of the world and, and was a former boxer and was in the army and drove a truck and had a family and even had a, an affair and had another child and on and on. He had this rich life experience. And yet at 80 years old, it was like he was a big kid in many ways. And yet also, you know, one of the most intense adults I ever met as well. So to have that, to see that all at once, is it's just wonderful it's just and that potential we know we know that we feel kind of ageless and timeless right when we're in our our true self when we're in our our clear moments we can't tell what our age is we could be three or we could be a hundred you know or anything in between and all of it in a way and it's more that i guess it's it's a it's almost like a free flow of consciousness in in this so-called innocence and in this present exper- expression it's that you're really just you're just pure consciousness and and everything's available there yes uh the freedom of being yes the freedom of being and of you know how when you look at a baby, when you're looking at a, at a fairly young baby, let's say, you know, six months and under, you're seeing this expression of just raw consciousness. It's a being with nothing formed as a personality or as a manifestation of somebodiness yet. It's just pure beingness, pure consciousness that you're looking at. And and I think it's one of the things that so intensely touches us about looking at a baby is we're feeling our own, that level of our own pure consciousness, that level of our own pure innocence as we're looking at a baby's eyes. We're, I mean, I think that's in part what makes us feel so incredibly tender about babies. It's not just about them, although that too, of course, but that it's it's also the complete innocence and purity of heart that we are. It's, it's just pinging that. So I think it's possible to give due to that, kind, that consciousness that lives in us still. And that's what I mean by this, this word innocence. It's, it's the understanding of the purity of consciousness that is just not somebodied. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know how to say it any other way, but I, I, I get that. Yeah. 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 You know, also the writings of Lao Tzu and Chang Tzu yes. seems like it's really playful and childlike. Yes, yes. So much better than the other possibilities that one can see. Getting stiffer and stiffer. Yes. And I always feel for people who think that they're adults. <laughs> and, and a lot of people, just because of their conditioning and because perhaps many people didn't feel they had any other choices, but, you know, you can see the, the burden of it. It's written on the face. I speak in my book about, and I know you've read it, but for those who haven't, uh, about a, 
a time I'd gone to Hawaii and a friend of mine treated me to um, a few days at this very, very fancy resort on the island of Lanai, and um, which was a horrible place. <laughs> It's unbelievably horrible. <laughs> Don't ever go there. <laughs> this particular island, it, it, it had been completely raised to, and turned into pineapple fields. So, so all the trees are gone from it, and just these old, dead, poisoned pineapple fields are left. And and the pineapple poison runoff has killed the reefs around the island. And now there are these two quite hideous resorts for mega mega rich people but in, in my opinion they're in horrible taste and <laughs> and extraordinarily overpriced rooms so we went we were going to be there supposedly for a few days and we only stayed two because it was it was just an awful place so on one of the days i was walking down to the little cove of a beach next to one of them and there was a man, and also you had the feeling that everyone there, by the way, it was where Bill Gates had his wedding. So that's kind of the level, <laughs> it's kind of the level of the scene. And so I was walking down to the beach and a guy was coming up and here it is, you know, Hawaii, it's, you know, a laid back place. But this guy was marching and he looked to be maybe 65 or so. And I, as soon as I saw him, I thought he's a titan in industry. He's some big name. You know, he's somebody. He's really somebody. And he's marching along and he's, his face was carved out of stone. And I looked at him and my, and my heart actually broke for him. I felt, I mean, it was just one of those moments of consciousness and my consciousness merged into his consciousness or just, there was just an immediate blend. And inside it was like, oh goodness. If you're not in touch with your innocence, you cannot feel heaven <laughs> no matter where you are, how much money you have, or what circumstance, or how many beautiful resorts you can find in the world. And I looked at him and I could see this was not a happy person. He was not having a good time. Oh. And, <laughs> you know, your heart can... When you see through certain eyes, when you see through your God eyes, right, when you see God through your God eyes, you see God in all the various forms. And sometimes in places you don't expect it, you, you feel tremendous compassion arise. <laughs> and that was one such case. Hmm. I'm sure he was not someone who would necessarily have been used to having people see him that way. I didn't get the feeling that that was the world he was in, that he was probably in tremendous power. But I, I just felt, wow, what a, what a burden. And I think about Ramana's face as a contrast. Ramana's face, which was just an emanation of ease and of compassion and of kindness and of delight. This is what I mean by innocence. Well, on that personal goals thing, I was tempted to write down to have no goals. <laughs> <laughs> Once one feels full, you can let the creature have whatever its needs are. You know, so if your goal is to 
start working out three times a week or write a story or whatever. Those are fine. Those are fine. It's no longer about, you know, feeding some gigantic black hole inside. You feel that's all full of light. You feel the beingness is all full of light. And then those so-called personal goals are fine. And then whether or not you make them isn't a big deal. <laughs> it sounded like almost a choice to go to the movie or not, as yes, far as the goal exactly. goes. Yes, exactly. It's not exactly. like a big thing. Right, yes. Yeah, you're not going to whip yourself if, <laughs> if you happen not to do it. And on the other hand, if you do it, because you've had that intentionality going, you had the personal goal, and let's say you execute this thing, and you might feel personal satisfaction, which is also fair enough, because we are psychologically complex creatures as well. But in awakened awareness, you will not feel like a failure if you don't do it. You'll just feel it wasn't wasn't to be or it wasn't to be then. This is a, an important point because sometimes people have the feeling that when they hear sort of so-called spiritual talk, they think that the idea is that you, you more or less become a vegetable. You, know, you just vegetate somewhere in a quiet way and, and nothing disturbs you and you, you don't have any sort of manifestation in a personal sense. But actually, your personal manifestation might become very much more um, exciting, you know, and it might become more directed. Certainly would have freer choices on those. Yes, you do. Yeah. And if it doesn't matter whether you do it or you don't, there's right. like so much more um, freedom in doing it. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter necessarily in your sense of well-being. It matters, for instance, if you've agreed to do something and you've given your word and other people are depending on you to do it, then it does matter whether you do it or not because it involves other people and, and some either inconvenience or even sometimes some suffering for them if you don't. So that does matter because then you understand in awakened awareness that you're part of a web of life, and you don't want to be messing around with harming other aspects of the web. But in terms of your own, you know, meeting your own personal goal, whether you work out or not, or whether you write that short story you've been meaning to write, those kinds of things that don't involve any other person's disappointment necessarily, you're not going to beat yourself up for not, not managing to do those things. So what I'm saying is that it's totally fine to have intentionality and it's totally fine to have personal goals. It can be wonderful, especially when everything's not riding on it. Your whole sense of worth is not riding on that. It's just a nice addition to life. That's all. And if it isn't to be, you appreciate the space. If you don't manifest something you appreciate that okay i didn't write the story because i was busy taking walks on the beach every day or gazing at the sky <laughs> when you first started i really enjoyed the thought processes that you went through and uh 
for quite a long time, I was struggling with, boy, I'm going to be happy when this happens, or I'm going to be happy when I do this, or, you know, when this happens, I'm going to be happy. And um, but you mean that you were struggling with that in the past? That yeah, was how past, your yeah. your life used to be. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, five six years ago, and it was interesting because as I went through the process, I wasn't going to let myself fail, and I just but I wasn't happy. And I found as I started to achieve these different goals that I'd set, it didn't make me any happier each time I had achieved one of those goals. Like financial goals or? Financial goals and different uh-huh. goals, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, multiple different ones. But part of what I, I, I was learning was that um, when something didn't work out, I used to like to look at it as, okay, that was a learning experience. I learned this from it. I learned that from it. And the way you worded what you said about having something not work out, appreciating the journey. I really like that Mm -hmm. because instead of trying to take um, a failure or something that didn't work out and trying to look at that and make it all about what you learned from it, which is good, but I like your wording better, (laughs) (laughs) appreciating for what it was. Yes. Yeah. You know, even when it doesn't work out, I think there's so much value in that statement. Yeah. Even uh, let me jump in because a thought is coming through, and if I don't catch them, they really fly by fast. <laughs> Even um, if we're just talking about worldly success, I was actually talking about a more sort of heart journey. But even if we're talking about worldly success, just functional goals and things, this applies very strongly because. Really, all that success is, is that you've problem-solved a lot of things along the way. A lot of things didn't work out, and you found another way to do it. You went around it somehow, or through it, or in a different, whole different thing. You walked down a completely different street. So, yes, it's true that it's just, it's all how you frame it. That when you're going along, you don't, you don't have to say it's, it's not working out. You can say, okay, we learned from this a different way to do it. Or, as I was speaking about, the way that you can frame it in terms of when you look back and see that something or someone is no longer with you and you might feel this sense of loss, another frame of that is that your journey was only to be a certain distance. That was what the journey was for the two of you or you and that thing or that venture or whatever it was. Or that person. That was the uh, totality of your journey together. And actually, you know, everything we merge with, that journey goes on in our hearts, whether the person's around or not. My relationship with my teacher and with my brother, both of whom are dead, the understandings and the way that they live in me goes on. And in a strange way, we're still in conversation. Not that I'm doing a lot of talking to the dead or anything, but but that their beingness is informing my beingness. And I feel that about a lot of people I admire who are who are no longer alive. I feel that their life as their message, like Gandhi said, is still being whispered in my in my being. 
So anyway, that was a big diversion. But do you remember what you were going to say? <laughs> no. Actually, I guess I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try to spend more time enjoying the journey. Yes, yes. And you asked a little bit earlier um, how to set goals. From a different place. Yes, Yeah. from a different place. Yeah. Um, Not from a place of needing to affirm your worth as somebody, but as a way of expressing the talent and the gifts and the love that you've been given. That's the reframe on it. Speaking about reframing and desire and expectation, I just suddenly was thinking, you know, a lot of self-help books and mystical books refer to affirmations and saying in the present moment whatever it is that you want say you you want to be a chef i don't know i am some learning to cook so i'm just using that as an example i am a great chef do you know and then of course there's the doing this there's the practice there's the effort like you said to achieve any goal you have to be problem solving and applying you know, a commensurate amount of pressure that's required to break through any physical barrier, which the universe basically is composed of a lot of physical <laughs> barriers at times. But I'm just, because I've always looked at life from a viewpoint of energy. Even since I was a kid, I've always just seen things like I remember having moments of very pure consciousness as, as just like even really young, like 10, nine, you know, and saying, okay, I want that. And then it would come. And then it might not be something that was good for me. And it would come maybe in a weird, screwed up way. But this is like a multifold question. (laughs) I'm just wondering how you distinguish between the things that you want like you want to express your talent and your love and there's things that you really want that are your heart's desire. And do you put that out there in an affirmation and just believe that it's going to come to you and let the universe bring what it will? Or do you apply your will towards getting it? And then maybe when you apply your will, you know, it doesn't come how you mean it to come. I mean, it's it's a very deep question, and I'm not doing injustice yeah. at all. So I'm just going to throw it get, back to you. So you're asking about will and about if if the use of affirmation is appropriate. Is that? Yeah, although that's a very small part of it. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm more talking about will and desire and expectation, and you know, like I used to use my will a lot, and I. It sort of was broken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I'm balancing using my will right. and letting things come well, that in. That was what I was going to say yeah. is that this is all a matter of feeling as you go. So you're staying true to yourself in the now, you know, and you're not waiting for the miracle to come. You're not, you're, you don't have a story that says, when I manifest that next thing, when I get that project, off the ground and out there, that's when I'm going to feel good. I'm going to feel full. I'm going to feel whole then. But rather, you're you're feeling whole. You're feeling yourself in your true sense. Because you have creative energy and you're honoring that as you go, you're doing whatever it is that produces 
some form of, of expression of that creative energy. But you're feeling as you go, each step of the way, step by step, in the now, how it feels. So if, for instance, you're pushing something and you're starting to feel anxious about it and tense, it's not going quite right, that person didn't call me back, all of those things, you're, you're very aware when the, when the energy starts to feel tight and nervous and unhappy. That's where the mirror needs to be on you right away. Wait a minute. Let's get the picture clear. This thing that's going to happen or not is not the condition for my well-being. It's just, it's just an extra. <laughs> All right, it's... So what if you feel full and you feel happy and you feel even you have an abundance mm-hmm. of energy or love or material or whatever, but you really want certain things because... I mean, how do you... You can want them, and you can also be completely fine if you don't get them. Right. And that's, then... that's really it. You can, you can have the desire in a very free way. You can have... I'm about to... Tomorrow, I have to write an article on desire for Tricycle Magazine. <laughs> so I've been reflecting on, on the nature of desire, and on it's, frankly, it's benefits, you know, there's a certain way that, that desire is kind of keeping the organic system going. Yeah, because if you don't have a game to play, so yes, to speak, yeah. you get, just as a being, you get bored. Yes, I mean, some, like, some do. Some, well, I Some would. do. And yes, and probably me too. But some people like a really quiet, do nothing, really, truly, just stare at the sky day and day after day. But um, for many of us, some creative expression is a healthy manifestation, whatever it is. It might be very simple. It might be a garden or it might be producing movies and writing fantastic books and so on. My point is that it's a matter of where it comes from. Where is this coming from? It, it can come from just the pure love of expression. Mm. And then what comes of it is sort of not your business you just let it roll out as best you can and you really give it over to god so then do you not use your will in that way you can use your will you know your so-called will which is what another way to say it is your your strong intentionality your clarity of mind and your clarity of mind will be that much sharper when you're not that attached to the outcome you know it's like i'll give you a poem by chong su actually about um, an archer who is not attached to the goal. He's not attached at all to hitting the bullseye, but he always does. <laughs> and, um, and it's just exactly that. It's that kind of freedom that you just let it flow through and you just say, also, whatever is to be. And you feel it as you go. That's the key. You know when you're pushing the river. We all know it, don't we? We know when we're pushing the river. We know when we're trying to peel the skin off the snake. We're out of balance. We're out of harmony. And we can, we can feel it physically. So step by step as you go, if you're feeling you're pushing your will too much, you're straining too much, you're getting in some sort of altercations or... You're feeling disappointment a lot. 
all of these are, are signs that the perspective is slightly out of balance. When that tightening starts to happen for me, there's some voice that comes up and says, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute, let's get this picture clear and go back to the fundamentals. So, well, that's trust, I guess. Yes, it is yeah. trust. And the trust also gets strong when you realize that you're, you, you start to live in your own okayness no matter what is happening. Right. And that's really where the trust comes. It's not, the, it's not a trust necessarily that says, oh, if I relax, I'll still keep hitting the bullseye. Mm-hmm. It's a trust that says whether I hit the bullseye or not isn't going to matter that much. Right, but still maintaining your joy about it. Yes, yes. Which is, and still playing the game, still right. you know, getting out there and shooting the arrow. <laughs> and, yeah. Trusting. So it's not that you're trusting that you know, Big Daddy and is going to come along in the sky and you know, coordinate these events from his bird's eye view to make right. it all okay. It's that you're trusting that you are totally fine no matter what. And right. that if one thing doesn't happen, you know, I love the phrase, the road not taken, the path not taken. Because you go along and suddenly your journeys just just go different ways. So let's say you've tried to will something to happen, a really cool creative project, let's say. And it just doesn't come to be. It doesn't come to fruition or it doesn't come to fruition in the timing that you were after. But it opens up this other space. And even if that space doesn't get filled with anything, you appreciate the space. Suddenly you realize, oh, I've got a lot of quiet. You, you dive into your well of calm and peace. You get recharged. You might even find that you're now inspired in some other new creative way that you wouldn't have been if you were busy executing that other thing. And so all these things are always, you just never know how it's going to play out. And you're just saying, ah, so to however it goes, even if nothing gets created, but space. (laughs) I also feel like I'm carving away at this other stuff, the creature, (laughs) whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like there's a dual awareness. There is a dual awareness, and you can honor those needs, those psychological and creative needs, as best you can. But they don't necessarily have to rule. Mm-hmm. You can stay with the. You stay on your mountain seat of freedom. You stay solid there, mm-hmm. and you let this other energy flow through you as it will. And I say even it's, it's actually more clear and more, more grand when you're on your mountain seat of freedom because the, the mind is clearer. There's more room for flickers of genius. Mm-hmm. Um, you stay on this as it all flows through. And some of it will come to be and some of it not. But you're mainly enjoying the love of existence and of your life as it is, the fullness mm. of your actual life and of the ones you love in it, that's the primary feast. You know, that's the main thing going on. And the rest of it becomes more incidental or just not as earth-shattering as it once was. Because you don't need any of that to define you. And you don't need any of that to prove to the world who you are and how great you are. And you more and more trust 
that actually what people respond to is this presence that you offer. That's really, that's really what people love. Sometimes people who have a tremendous talent like you do feel, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've got to show this to the world. And it's a natural feeling. You feel like you've been given a gift and you've got to make sure it gets fully honored and expressed. And that's fair enough. But don't let that feeling overwhelm your priorities. The main creative expression that you offer the world is this presence and the trust that starts to develop, that you start to more and more trust that, trust your relationship with that, trust your offering that as who you are and what you have to give here. And then whatever else comes through is just aspects of that. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) In the Dharma discussion that you've just heard from a session that took place in 2004, I mentioned a poem by Hafiz in reference to reclaiming joy in our lives and revitalizing our spirits. In these first days of 2023, we may all be understandably heart-weary from the events of recent years and from the hardships in our times. By way of encouragement, here are Hafiz's words from nearly 700 years ago. Someone untied your camel, translated by Daniel Ladinsky. I cannot sit with my countrymen in chains. I cannot act mute, hearing the world's loneliness crying near the beloved's heart. My love for God is such that I could dance with him tonight without you, but I would rather have you there. Is your caravan lost? It is if you no longer weep from gratitude or happiness, or weep from being cut deep with the awareness of the extraordinary beauty that emanates from the most simple act and common object. My dear, is your caravan lost? It is if you can no longer be kind to yourself and loving to those who must live with the sometimes difficult task of loving you. At least come to know that someone untied your camel last night, for I hear its gentle voice calling for God in the distance. At least come to know that Hafiz will always hold a lantern with galaxies blooming inside and that I will always guide your soul to the divine warmth and exhilaration of our beloved's tent. This has been In the Deep. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and numerous other podcast platforms, as well as on our website, katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session and see the schedule of upcoming events. We're very grateful for reviews on whichever platform you are listening and for donations to support the production of these podcasts. Happy New Year, friends. Mm-hmm.